Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to jump into our Bible study this morning. Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. Mark, chapter 13. And if you're new to the Bible and you don't know where Mark is, just turn to your neighbor and say, hey, can you help me find Mark? And he will say, well, you found him. I'm Mark. And uh, that'll be wonderful. You have met a new friend. You're never going anywhere else. But... uh, No, that's just a joke, obviously, but um, for us to jump into this study and to continue it, the Gospel of Mark is part of the the New Testament, and uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are uh, the books called the Gospels, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we've been following following along in um, Mark's Gospel and his observation account of Jesus' life and ministry. And uh, a series that we entitled Servant Savior because in this gospel we picked up on two important themes. One is that Jesus has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in that phrase or key verse in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, we really see the summary of Jesus coming. And at this point in Mark chapter 13, we are in the middle of Jesus' last week on planet earth. And he's just wrapped up a conversation and interaction that he's had with the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees in chapter 12. And there he was asked three questions. And these questions dealt with how to pay or should we pay our taxes to the government. Second is uh, dealing with the resurrection. And then the third was a question about what's the greatest commandment. And we know that these religious rulers were against Jesus because the scripture says that They wanted to trick him, trap him, and test him, and ultimately to destroy him. And so what's fascinating as you transition into chapter 13 is that there are three more questions asked. But these questions are not coming from the religious rulers. They're actually coming from Jesus' followers. And those questions are going to deal with the end times and uh, signs of the end of the age. Actually, the three questions are, when will the temple be destroyed? What is the sign of Jesus' coming? And what is the sign of the end of the age? And so we're going to be looking at today in chapter 13 a key passage that deals with uh, Old Testament prophecies as well as prophetic and apocalyptic literature. So these scriptures deal with the end times and end times prophecy. And the point that we want to remember today as we read and study this chapter is that Jesus foretells the future the future events to his faithful followers. And there's, there's a couple of challenges when you look at passages like this because there isn't full agreement on the understanding or even the interpretation and the details and the application of many of the apocalyptic end times scriptures because some are looking at these events as already being fulfilled as well as some of these and most of these events have not yet been fulfilled. But what's fascinating When you read these uh, passages in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, scriptures like Mark chapter 13 or Matthew chapter 24 or even the book of Revelation, that you see prophecy is being fulfilled in the immediate context for the most part, but there is also 
a foreshadowing of prophecy that is still to come. And we know that because the, pro- the prophecies mentioned by Daniel in this passage were dealing with things that happened during his time. However, because Jesus brings them up currently and in the context of these events that he describes, we know that many of these things have yet to take place. And so there is this problem when you look at the prophetic dilemma because in one sense there is an unexpected time. Jesus in these verses say no one knows the time or the hour of the return of the Son of God or the end of the age. However, there's also a distinct and general predictability when it comes to some of these events that we can generally understand them by discerning the times. There's also a challenge because the scriptures describe a period of time that is business as usual and people being caught off guard suddenly, but there's also a description of worldwide catastrophes. And so there's a bit of a challenge as well as being caught up or the rapture that's described uh, or the snatching up uh, that is happening secretly or even the return of Jesus that happens secretly, but also there is a coming down of Jesus that is very visible for people to see. So I just find it fascinating that there can be some various interpretations, but Jesus is not so much in this chapter trying to give us a specific point by point, understanding all the details about answering these three questions. He's giving us a a general outline of understanding, but I think the point for us actually is to simplify it all into this one statement, that Jesus is coming back and we should be ready. And that's really what Jesus says. There's three words in this chapter that are very important for us to clue in, key in on, and that is that we should take heed, we should watch, and we should pray so that we are not deceived. And so uh, we're going to see this in four simple ways, just an outline for us as we read through this. One is Jesus is going to define a period of great sorrow, and that is the beginning of the time to come. Secondly, he's going to depict the pressures of great suffering, which is included in what he calls the great tribulation. Thirdly, he's going to discuss the presentation of great signs, and these signs are going to shake up those things that we think could never be shaken, sun, moon, stars, heavenly things. And then lastly, we're going to see Jesus describe this type of prophecy and the signs of the future events with great secrecy meaning no one knows the time or the hour. And because of this, we're encouraged to do a couple of things. So a lot to get to, jumping into Mark chapter 13, verse 1. Then as Jesus went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, if you know your history or you've studied this chapter before, you know that in the immediate context of what Jesus is speaking about, there is a destruction of the temple in uh, 70 AD. And there's also a desecration of the temple that takes place. So there's an immediate understanding of what is to come. Jesus is referencing an actual event that will happen not too far from the words that he's speaking. But the fact that he includes these other uh, predictions Uh, points us to the fact that many of these things have yet to take place or are generally speaking as world history continues on down its path. And so uh, in verse verse 3, we read, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign 
when all these things will be fulfilled, Matthew's gospel says, and what will be the sign of your return? And Jesus answered them and said, he began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. Everyone say, take heed. This is very important that we are not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. You just look throughout history. There are many people. Even during Jesus' time, immediately following his death on the cross, there are many people who were claiming to be the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, or the Deliverer. And many people have uh, claimed to be that throughout history. Even more modern history, we see people claim to be the reincarnation or the resurrection of Jesus. And they have caused so much pain and so, so much death uh, and, and heartache for many people's lives. And they deceived many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. Everyone circle that, that phrase in the person's Bible sitting behind you. Just go ahead right now, turn around, and just circle it because it's important. Do not be troubled. Well, how will we not be troubled when we see wars and rumors of wars? How do we not have our hearts be troubled even right now when there are so many wars that are happening and so much pain and so much distress in life? No, he's not talking about having a, com- a, a compassion and a care and a concern When war is breaking out, he's saying, don't be concerned or troubled because the time is not yet. The end times. These things must happen. They're a part of the process of human history. Do not be troubled. You haven't missed out on anything. And the time for Jesus to return is not yet. So don't be troubled. Why? Another thing about not being troubled is just the same thing that we sang in that last song. That um, God is holding the events of human history. He is the one who is in control of moving things along his path and along his timeline and along his purpose. Do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. Matthew's gospel says there will be pestilences as well. So there's a lack of food. There's uh, earthquakes in various places. There's diseases. And I can't think of a, of a disease recently that may be spread across the planet. Maybe you can. But, uh, well, there's going to be diseases and famines and pestilences in various places and uh, troubles. And these are the beginnings. Everyone say beginnings. The beginnings of sorrows. Sorrows is a time of, of pain and, and anguish and of trouble. It's just the beginning. But watch out for yourselves. For you will be delivered up to the councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony to them. So Jesus, once again, jumps back in to the immediate context of his hearers in answering some of these questions for them. We know every single one of Jesus' followers, aside from Judas Iscariot, were persecuted, were killed, were um, destroyed because of their claims and their, their uh, belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And so we know then, generally speaking as well, in the follow-up to what he is saying here, that many Christians, in fact, were told, even in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that we should love those who persecute us and mistreat us and pray for those who speak evil of us. There, are, there is much persecution that is breaking out. If you go to uh, Asian cultures or um, Middle Eastern cultures, And uh, areas where the Bible is forsaken and forbidden, where you can't speak the name of Jesus Christ. And so there's great persecution that is apparent in Jesus' depiction of these 
sorrows and beginnings of birth pangs, as uh, the Gospel of Matthew tells. It's kind of like being in labor, the birth pangs. You know what's going to come. The baby's coming, but there are these contractions that are taking place. And that's what's happening on planet Earth as Jesus is describing these events, this great uh, sorrow that is to come. And uh, you will be brought before rulers. And uh, verse 10 And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. I love that. You can just underline that phrase as well. The gospel must be preached. So as the world gets darker, Jesus says the gospel gets brighter. There is an advancement of the gospel. Many people say, well, I don't see any scriptures in the Bible that talk about a great revival or spiritual awakening or renewal of God's people in the end times. Well, I would point to this first. I wouldn't conclude and create some entire doctrine out of it, but I would point to what Jesus says, that there is an increased effort of uh, evangelism, that, that the gospel will victoriously advance despite the vicious attacks that are going to come against the gospel. And uh, this gives us a mission and a mandate, even in the darkest of times, that we can shine the light of Jesus Christ and share the gospel to, notice what he says here, to all nations. So the job isn't done yet. We've got more to do. And as we have more to do, we watch, we pray, we take heed that we're not deceived, but we continue on in the mission of Jesus Christ. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Once again, the same word being used here. All nations, teaching them about Jesus. And so this gospel continues on. And when they arrest you, verse 11, and deliver you, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour that you should speak, but it was given to you by the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death and father to child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. We'll just pause right here because in these verses, before Jesus gets to the great tribulation and the fulfillment of a specific prophecy by the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, he talks about this great sorrow. Now I see three things. You can just jot these things down. But I see one, uh, in this period of sorrow there is apostasy which means a falling away. There is anarchy, which means a a disruption of social and natural order. And there is apathy. There is a coldness of heart, which brings a lot of division. So remembering the promise that Jesus says that we should not be troubled. Generally speaking, that there is a sense that many of these things are taking place in our world today. And Jesus specifically says that this is just the beginning. This will be a part of the prior period to this great calamity that breaks out on planet Earth. And so we are experiencing many of those things. But Jesus says, do not be deceived. Now, there's other verses by even the Apostle Paul that talks about the end will not come until there is, quote, a great falling away. And apostasy is an indication that those who once believed in Jesus Christ, who once loved God and followed him, would now betray their faith and would walk away from God. So there is an apostasy, but what does that apostasy come from? It comes from deception. And there can be just a small little amount of truth that is mixed up with a lot of deception and a lot of lies. And there is teaching and doctrine and all kinds of things that are circulating even today 
that uh, is trying to deceive so many people. And so these false prophets and saviors uh, that they claim will arise and try to lead people astray. But the best way to prevent spiritual deception is through fervent scriptural consumption. You know what I mean by that? What, we, what I mean by that is if we get to know God in his word, if we understand his plan for future events, if we place our life and faith and trust in him, then we are able to understand the attacks and the deception of other people. So there is an apostasy. I guess the encouragement is, is to stay close to Jesus right now. With all the events that are happening, now is the time to get your faith and your, and your life right with him. Don't wait another minute because he ends this chapter by saying, no one knows the time or the hour, that Jesus' return can come suddenly and instantaneously. And when that happens, there is no second chances. But right now, you have an opportunity to get holy and pure and right with God. Not out of works of righteousness in ourselves, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Do not be deceived. Fill your heart and your life with God's word. And that is the best way to prevent yourself from following after so many whacked, I would, that's just a very theological word right there. So many whacked things, crazy things, deceptive things. Listen, everything you see on Facebook is not true, okay? <laughs> and you all know that. That's an over-exaggeration, right? Or the things that you read on the internet, right? Go back to the scriptures and know what God has to say. But there's also a time that Jesus describes of anarchy, of wars and, and rumors of wars. Now, the important thing to remember about what Jesus is saying in this passage is that although ever since the beginning there have been wars, there have been fights, there have been divisions, Jesus is describing a period of time where world calamities are going to intensify with greater frequency. It's going to happen much more frequently, and these wars will also be much more intense, happening, boom, all over the place. This is a period of anarchy, as well as apathy. Jesus describes a period of time where brother will betray brother, where kids are going to kill their parents. There is a coldness of heart. Really, what we're talking about is severe divisions. And lines being drawn and relationships being destroyed and the common sense of people being thrown out the window. These severe divisions will increase as sincere affection and love for other people will decrease. This is what Jesus describes in these moments. However, he says the gospel is going to be proclaimed. So in these opening verses, Jesus is speaking specifically of a couple of things. One is the uh, future events of the temple in 70 AD, the Jewish temple being destroyed. He's also speaking about a very specific time where the apostles and disciples here that are following Jesus will be persecuted and will go to trial. But he's also speaking generally about the affairs of human history as we continue down the timeline and the path that these things are going to be evident that we all from generation to generation should understand and discern and perceive that we should not be deceived, that the divisions that we encounter that the pestilence and the diseases and wars that we see intensify are the beginnings. We should recognize that the time is come and the call has gone out 
And there should be urgency and sincerity in the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, this also changes, however, when we get to verse 14. Because Jesus begins to point back to very specific uh, prophecies in the Old Testament. So, verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it not not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him who is in the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days, this is a key verse, verse 19. For in those days there would be tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Everyone say tribulation. Tribulation, this word, maybe your translation also uses the word affliction. And this word literally means to press together. There is a great tribulation or affliction that Jesus describes, which includes anguish, oppression, pressure, and distresses as a result of this abomination that takes place in the Jewish temple. And he goes on to say in verse 20, Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened those days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, once again, that word, circle it, or underline it. Take heed, see, I have told you beforehand these things that should take place. Jesus depicts here the pressures of great suffering in this period of great tribulation. Now he uses a couple of words here. There's abomination that causes desolation as well as tribulation. And the abomination is a reference to Daniel's prophecy in the Old Testament. Abomination literally means the blasphemous idolatry of God or of a person or of a thing in the Jewish temple. Now, I mentioned Paul's epistles where he talked about the end times. And uh, one of those indicators of Jesus' return and the end of all things is the falling away of those who were close to God, but also the revealing of a man of sin, as is quoted in the scriptures, or a, a man of lawlessness, as well as this man of sin or, or lawlessness who would present himself as God and require worship in the temple. So this is the abomination, the abomination of desecrating the temple or, or desecrating God and the worship of God. So a couple of things. One is the Jewish temple needs to be replaced or established. And in order for that to take place, there needs to be some time that happens from now until then. Now we know that there is much effort in order to establish worship in a temple or the temple or the original temple or a new temple. And so this abomination is very clear. One thing to keep in mind is that Daniel foreshadowed these types of events in the future in order to point to a precise marker. This is a precise marker that Jesus indicates and verifies in Daniel's prophecy in the Old Testament. But once this takes place, Jesus says, it unleashes tribulation, affliction, oppression, distress upon planet Earth that we have never experienced or have ever experienced in human history or ever will be. And so this great tribulation is the most catastrophic period in human history. 
So these events now are transitioning into a future event that Jesus is describing here, as yet have yet to occur. So are you following along as we read through? And I want you to know, I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, this is exactly what is happening. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus gives us a general sense. He, he, he gives us a, a picture, and he, he actually goes on at the end of this chapter to say, he uses a parable. He uses the parable of um, the days of Noah in the Gospel of Matthew, basically saying that as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And in the days of Noah, there was great deception and there was a great falling away, but there was also a sense that life is going on as business as usual, and it happens suddenly. Now, Jesus, at the end of this chapter in Mark 13, is going to talk about the parable of the, um, the olive tree and say that, you know, you can discern the seasons and the times and the fruit that's going to come by looking at the tree and, and, and the leaves that are there, we should also be able to discern and understand the times that we live in in order to be ready, in order to have our hearts close to God. And so these are the dis- descriptions of great sorrow leading up to the return of Jesus and the great tribulation. This is a depiction as well of this great tribulation as prophesied in the Old Testament. But we also see um, a period of great signs. Notice in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Everyone say shaken. And uh, there's another uh, a parable, a story in the gospel that talks about those things that we didn't think would be shaken, would be shaken in the end times. And uh, maybe we experience issues or struggles or things in life that really shakes us to the core. And I think God does, uh, sometimes he shakes up our lives in order to get us close to him. And uh, we may experience uh, a tragic loss or, or a problem or an issue in life. And uh, it really shakes us to the core. And maybe it even question, it causes us to question our faith or our trust or our belief in God. And uh, as you go back to God and you say, God, I don't understand these things. This is too painful for me. And why am I experiencing this? It gets us close to him. But this is a different type of shaking. This is a shaking that completely turns upside down the things that we thought were solid and secure. Those things that we thought would never change. Just as the sun uh, rises in the morning and sets in the evening, just as the stars uh, and the moon shine at night, these things are going to be completely pulled apart. And uh, Jesus is the one, as the book of Colossians tells us, he sustains all things in him, through him, by him, and for him. All things are created and are sustained. And now we see the unraveling, the unraveling of creation, the unraveling of human history, the unraveling and as well as the revealing of the one who is the creator of all things, these signs. There is um, a sign in the heavens and great power. And then... He will send, verse 27, his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. 
So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near right at the door. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so Jesus here in these verses discusses the presentation of great signs. I see a couple things. One is the phenomenon that takes place in the heavenly bodies, but also the phenomenal revealing of Jesus Christ as he returns in power and great glory. As I mentioned, the sun, moon, and the stars, those things that we felt and thought were solid and secure. There is an unprecedented cosmic disturbance that accompanies the following of the abomination that causes desolation, as well as the great tribulation that is unleashed on planet Earth. But in the, in the midst of these cosmic disturbances, we see, as Jesus describes here, the presentation of Jesus in all of his glory. And we need to remember a couple of things about Jesus' return. Because there are many different doctrines and teachings that say, well, Jesus didn't really come to planet Earth. It was more spiritual. Or, well, Jesus really didn't put on physical flesh. Or, well, Jesus really didn't uh, die on the cross. He he actually was uh, resurrected before that. Or he didn't experience the pain. Or, well, Jesus isn't really coming back. That's just a metaphor. No, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He put on that flesh so that he can relate to you and I. He put on that flesh also so that he could be the perfect substitute and sacrifice for our sins in our fleshly human sin as well. But just as Jesus came physically in putting on flesh to live and to give his life for you and I, so Jesus is coming back visibly. He will return and that Jesus' return is imminent, meaning it can happen at any moment. As we see these events unfold and as we are discerning the times that we are living in, Jesus' return is instantaneous, it is obvious, and it is glorious. It's instantaneous, meaning it's sudden. We do not know when that is going to take place, but we have a general sense of understanding when that will happen because of what is happening around us. It is obvious, so it's very startling. It's very clear for people to see as well as glorious, where we have been talking about Jesus entering into Jerusalem a couple weeks ago. It was the triumphal entry, and many of the people who were celebrating, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's the king, and uh, coming in his glory, but he didn't come in great glory then. He actually came humbly, sitting on a donkey, And yet now we see the picture of Jesus coming in his great glory and power. Here is the king of kings and the Lord of lords returning. It's very phenomenal, very clear, and very glorious. Now, what do we do with all this information? I know this is a lot to take in. And uh, I just see a couple of things. One is there's an outline that Jesus describes for us that we uh, we should look at and understand. He describes in these verses, one, a period of devastation that there will be natural and social devastation that takes place. Secondly, he describes this period of abomination. There is an intentional defiance against God. Thirdly is the tribulation. And in this tribulation, there is exceptional disturbances that take place in the heavenly bodies. And then lastly, there is a revelation. And in this revelation, there is the phenomenal deliverance of God. Now, you would think that as Jesus 
excuse me, as the disciples ask Jesus these questions, do you think up until this point he's answered their questions? Has he answered when will the temple be destroyed or the sign of Jesus' coming or the sign of the end of the age? Now, if I were to ask Jesus those questions, I would want a very specific timestamp. Okay, I want to be ready. Well, there was many prophecies that gave us a general uh, specific uh, key markers for understanding, but Jesus does not do that. He does not go into uh, making these predictions. And that is for a number of reasons. Let's read it and we'll just close with this. Verse 32. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. So Jesus is saying, even the Son of God, even me, I do not know when that time will come, but only the Father. So take heed. This is the third time he's mentioned that. Take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. Everyone say sleeping. Now, Jesus isn't talking about laying your head on your pillow at night and sleeping. No, he's talking about having a soul, having a heart that is just drifting through life, going through the motions, and just sleeping your time away. Jesus says in these closing verses, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Ooh, there's a key there. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but now he's saying, what I have just said, I speak to all people for all generations to take heed, to watch, and to pray. Jesus describes this type of prophecy, these events, with great secrecy. He says, no one knows the time or the hour. There is a wait and a watch that Jesus describes, and it would be foolish for us to stand up or even to write down or to articulate some specific date some many people have done that in the past, said, well, Y2K, here it go. Everything's going to shut down and we got to be ready for Jesus. No, the problem is that Jesus doesn't predict this and neither should we. You see, prophetic predictions of Christ's return are problematic projections because we start looking at these details and we try to figure it out. But the point of the passage here is not to figure out the date but to know the seasons and the times and to be ready. Jesus says here in these closing verses that we must carry on with diligence until the coming of Jesus' appearance. Until he comes, be diligent, be ready, because people will be caught off guard severely, even as life carries on generally. Even though life continues on, And uh, it seems to carry on from generation to generation. Many people will say, oh, they've been saying Jesus is going to come back for how many years? How many decades? How many generations? Well, that's a person who has a heart that is sleeping. And we don't want to have hearts that are sleeping. We can consume God's word, get close to him in these times that Jesus describes here so that we are not deceived. Friends, please 
Do not be deceived. Get close to him and his word. But we can also recognize that in these dark periods that Jesus describes, there is an opportunity that we have to advance the gospel through the mission of the church because the Holy Spirit has empowered every single one of us and Jesus is going to build his church all the way up to the end and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So now is this time to shift our efforts, our time, our talent, our treasure into participating in the mission of Jesus Christ to take the gospel to all the nations, to all people, to all tongue, tribe, and nation. But lastly, also to be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Do not let your heart be sleeping. Devote yourselves to being watchful, taking heeding, he, taking heed, discerning, and praying, and being ready for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So with that, we're going to have our worship team come on up and lead us in a closing song, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these verses that are before us this morning, and we claim together that uh, we don't understand it all, but you've given us enough to discern the seasons and the times. And you have said, do not be troubled because you are in control. And oftentimes when we read these things or we see stuff online, we think, oh, the mark of the beast. Oh, the Antichrist. Oh, the world is coming to an end. Oh, this, that, or the other. And we get all riled up. We get all worked up. We get all spun up. I don't see any of that in these verses. We're encouraged to be people of peace, to be people of the gospel, to be people of sound mind, to understand and discern, to hold the paper in one hand and hold the Bible in the other and say, it's okay. I don't know what history holds, but I know who holds history, and I trust you, and I love you, and I want my life to be close with you. May we carry on diligently, prayerfully, and evangelistically until that time comes, until you return, until you call us home. God, we love you. We thank you. And I do want to pray for anyone who may be in this room or those who are joining us online or listening to this podcast later right now. You're driving in your car maybe, and your heart is not close to God. And your heart has been sleeping. And you have seen the divisions in our world. You have seen the wars that are happening. You have seen and and you know that there is something not right that's going on around you. And now you've heard that Jesus told us beforehand these things will happen. And if Jesus told us beforehand, you can also know that all the other things that Jesus has claimed and and has said in the Gospels are true as well. That means Jesus loves you. And that means Jesus is the Son of God. And that means Jesus died on the cross and is substitute for your sins. And that means Jesus was buried in the, in the grave and rose again the third day. And that means that Jesus has given you power and victory over the death and over sin. That means that if you confess your sin to God right now in the quietness of your own heart, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness that you can be ready right now, prepared before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
talk with him as we sing this song. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.